All right, let me set an all too common scene here. You're on the internet. Maybe you're searching for a blender or mixer on Amazon. You might buy it, you might not. But for days, maybe weeks after that, blenders and mixers keep appearing in the ads you're served online. Sometimes those ads might even cross platforms and appear on Google, Amazon, and Facebook all simultaneously. Or at least that's how it can feel. Here's another one that's a little more specific. You're visiting fingerlakes1.com, reading the region's latest news and headlines, and all of a sudden, an ad pops up or appears in the text of a story. A vast majority of the ads we deliver here on fingerlakes1.com are targeted by Google. But what does that mean, targeted, and how does it work? For fingerlakes1.com, I'm Josh Durso, and today on The Debrief, a conversation with Mallory Benjamin and Dave Christ. Both work for Dixon Schwabel, and ads are their life. Mallory is the VP of Media Services, while Dave serves as Senior Marketing and Strategy Analyst. We start things off with an overview of how digital ads are served, and if you stick around long enough, you'll even learn about a potential cookie-pocalypse that could be coming in the next few years. Essentially, advertising on the internet works in a couple of ways. There's always information sort of being collected about your actions to some degree. It's all non-personally identifiable, but essentially if you are searching something or you're clicking on something, all that information is registered um, on the back end. And then from a media buyer perspective, like what our team does, we look at building campaigns for our clients and we'll put that information into the back end and say, okay, we're looking for people that are often charitable. So if you are continuously clicking on an ad um, and you're making charitable donations, those type of things online, and you kind of fall in this pool of data. And then we will see when you come online, when you're taking an action online, you go to a website, you're on your social media, all that information about you is used in sort of an auction system to buy and sell ads. Um, where we are actually purchasing the ad for you, that user, kind of in that interest bucket, if you will. Um, so there's nothing about you as a person we're buying. We're buying the information on the back end that says, hey, you have made charitable contributions in the past and you're in that. Yeah, and I, I can jump in too. Uh, so I think the way that people think how advertising has traditionally worked in the past is I like to go back to traditional. You think of contextual advertising. So, you know, you might buy an ad in Better Homes and Garden or something like that. You know, you're going to get in front of those people who are avid gardeners, they're interested in the topic and they're reading it. It's changed in the digital environment because the way it works now is we have a lot more information. So instead of sort of buying those positions in something that's contextually relevant, you're actually buying uh, ad space in front of people based upon specific characteristics. So one of the ways that we look at it is like interest, affinity targeting, life event targeting. So we have all this information. It's very, again, as Mallory mentioned, it's anonymized information, but we can actually target people specifically based upon a point or something they're showing interest in. If you're shopping for shoes, for example, all of a sudden we know that you're interested in shoes so we can show you all the shoes that you love. Um, we know if you're a male or female, we know what age range you are. So we can really tailor the products specific to what you're looking for. And it's sort of a win-win for both advertisers. I think some people get a little creeped out about it, but the idea is we're trying to put more relevant ads in front of you so that you're not getting the ads that you really don't care about. Uh, it's really going to be something that speaks to you and is specifically really tailored for you. Mm -hmm. Now, one of them, I'm, I'm glad you guys took it that direction because one of the, one of the pieces of feedback that actually got us to 
uh, thinking about doing this podcast in the first place was where you search something online, probably a purchase, you end up buying that thing. And then for like a month and a half, two months later, you're still seeing ads for that entire category. Like you buy a lawnmower and all of a sudden for the next three months, you're seeing lawnmower ads. You're no longer in the market, but is that one of the ways in which perhaps digital ads uh, going forward, start to improve where that kind of that experience starts to maybe tailor even a little more? Yeah, I would definitely say so. I think that one of the things that we do for our advertisers, if it's a client that we're working on, we can actually make that buy so that we stop serving you the ad um, if you buy our product. So if you take this action and you actually purchase it in our cart, then we get we stop serving to you. Now you may still fall in that bucket that Dave's talking about for an affinity audience or something like that for a longer period of time. But eventually, yeah, I mean, I think that's the hope is that we're going to continue to get better and better data. Um, and those audiences should be sort of clearing those cookies. At this point, a lot of that information is registered by cookies. Um, if they can get to the point that they're clearing those daily, we start to learn really clearly, quickly what that person's intent is. Um, and it could be something that we'll see in the future. But it depends on what the policies are of those different data companies, how often they're clearing those, how often they're renewing that information. Um, but it should be more often than that, that you're not seeing it for months and months after you bought that lawnmower in an ideal situation. Yeah. And just to jump in there too, I think if you bought something from a specific merchant and you're still seeing their ads, that's bad advertising. But if you're seeing competitor ads around that, they just don't have the available information that they know that you made a purchase. So they still sort of think you're looking around there. What generally happens is we would we would sort of set a window of we expect somebody to be searching for 30 days for this product and they're probably made a decision. So at the end of that 30 days or whatever you sort of identify as the right time frame, that's when we would stop serving the ads to that person. Okay, so one of the one of the technical questions that came up that I, I thought was pretty interesting is it, it, everybody knows or can sort of identify the big players in this digital ad space. You got Google, Amazon, Facebook, those types of players. But it seems as though sometimes the ads are even jumping between platforms. And I think that part of it is kind of confusing to some people, or at least people who aren't totally familiar with how uh, digital advertising works. So how is that part of it actually playing out where, you know, you're seeing a, uh, an advert, an ad for, for uh, a blender on Facebook. And then all of a sudden on Google or Amazon, you're also seeing sort of recommended uh, listings in that same focused category. Dave, why don't you go ahead and answer this one first? Sure. So I, it's really, I mean, these big three, they collect data across the entire ecosystem online. If you're on any website, Google Analytics is likely installed on there. So they are collecting that data. Facebook is same thing. You'll see in a lot of sites when you go to log in, you'll see a Facebook login to make it easier. So that's all that information allows for these companies to start to watch you. And then Amazon in general, most people nowadays, you'll, you might go to Google and search for a product, but a lot of times you go directly to Amazon. So they know everything about searching intent. So I, I think what we tend to see is these big three, they really collect a ton of data across the board. It's broader than you actually think. They know a lot about you based upon what you're doing and just sort of watching when you're, when you're actually visiting sites. So what we tend to do as advertisers is we know people spend time between these spaces 
And a lot of the big three know that as well. So when you're actually looking to buy advertising across these areas, you know the areas you need to make sure you get. So Facebook for specific, right? You're gonna, you gotta buy directly through Facebook to get ads on there. But there's also programmatic, which is another way that we buy. And what that allows us to do is for Amazon, for example, we might say to them, hey, we wanna target somebody who's been searching for this specific product. And it actually allows for us to say, we wanna buy this person across the entire web. So how do we leverage Amazon's data and actually buy this, whether they're on CNN.com or Fox News, but we know that this person looked at a blender, for example, right? And so that is something that we're eligible to do. And it's a lot of partnerships that these big advertising companies have. And it allows for us to really get a big reach using the specific data that the big three are actually collecting on you. Um, and we look at it through the lens on what makes the most sense for our clients. Absolutely. And I would also say there's sort of, what well, we talked about the cookie advertising, there's also the ability to target by user too. And so that's where Dave's mentioning some of that information about if you're logging in consistently using you know, a Gmail address or whatever your email address is from these other platforms, there are ways that we can sequentially be serving ads um, to each of those locations where no matter where you are across those platforms and using that information to sort of leverage where you are in the buyer, buying cycle, uh, that gets a little bit more complex, but that data is available and there are circumstances where that's being kind of layered into that piece of ultimately having a, a multimedia mix up of multiple platforms and having all of those different advertisers incorporated into the buy um, that happens as well. So there's sort of a combination of things that could be going on there in those circumstances. Now, I'm curious, we've obviously in the last few years seen plenty of advertising for uh, VPNs, virtual private networks, uh, and trying to basically give users the ability to skirt some of the the more nefarious things that seem to follow you on the internet. Um, is, is that something that is taken to account by advertisers or how is that part of the whole segment actually accounted for by, by you guys? Yeah, I would say it's a very small portion of the market that is really using those ad blockers or any of those types of technology for sure. Um, it's a limited group of people that are pretty much more on the tech savvy side of things in, in general. But I would say, you know, it's a very small segment, like we said, and we do take that into account, especially when we're trying to reach um, like a, a more technical user. It, that tends to be when we're going after that sort of target audience, that that is going to be something we really need to think about and understand when we're putting together the media buy, um, is this medium make sense? And a lot of times we'll look at alternative ways aside from just a, you know, a banner ad or even a social media ad, knowing that those blockers are in place, things like email and alternative di digital channels tend to be a really good way to reach those people that fall into that segment. Um, but in general, I would say if we're talking general population, it's usually less than 10% is using an ad blocker. It's a really low percentage. And the ability to still reach the rest of that market is worth you know, that little bit of that piece of reach that we'd have to give up on a campaign. Yeah, I agree. I think it is a small portion of people. VPNs, I think, are particularly hard and ad blockers definitely hurt too. But it sort of seems one of the things that's interesting about the advertising industry is that it's actually harder to measure things. Uh, I'd say now than it was even two years ago, we tend to see a lot of the, we call them walled gardens between Amazon, Facebook, Google, and they try and kind of keep all the data to themselves. They don't want the to see collaboration between the platforms. So 
in the past, it was easier to understand somebody when they were exposed to an ad, maybe they did a search on Google, then they went to Facebook, you'd be able to understand that user journey. And we just don't have the insight into what that is anymore. Uh, just around data privacy laws, you see a lot of browsers, you probably heard like Chrome, Safari, they just don't share that information as readily available with advertisers as it used to be. So the trend does seem to be that privacy is moving forward. So it's it's sort of an interesting time for digital marketing because again, we we really we see the landscape shifting and evolving quite a bit over the past couple of years. It's gonna be interesting to see how that shapes out, especially moving into the next couple of years here. I'm glad you mentioned that because a couple, the next couple of questions sort of go back to the big three that we talked about off the top. Um, when people think of Google, Amazon, Facebook, especially in the ad space, and just in terms of straight up user base, um, a lot of folks feel like they have too much power. They're too big. Uh, where do you guys come down on that as, as folks who work in the industry? Like, obviously I'm sure there are, are benefits to it, but I would imagine there's also maybe a little bit of uh, concern in the back of your mind about what their size might mean, you know, as you fast forward five, 10 years? Yeah, I would say, first of all, from a personal standpoint, it's concerning for a lot of reasons, right? I mean, all the reasons that consumers are concerned about it. Um, but from a professional standpoint, even we work internally often with Google just because we have to, frankly. Um, sometimes it's not even necessarily something that we want to do in a, in a situation, but it is what is required because the, the sheer volume of what they have. Um, from a buying perspective, it limits our ability to be able to negotiate, to have power from a cost perspective for our clients. And those are things that we definitely like to see competition in those markets because it's how as a media buyer, most of what we you know, started to do, especially in the traditional space, was really based on the ability to negotiate and work, um, you know, steward and, and manage those dollars for our clients. And without that leverage, just as a buyer in general, it, it is difficult. And we as buyers are fragmented, but as a um, deliverer of that medium, Google has all the power in those particular circumstances. So it is definitely something we we try to work with other partners when it's available, um, especially from the data segment category. There's a lot of really great data partners that people just aren't aware of and even accessing them. Even if you have to buy Google's inventory at the end of the day, if you're still giving some of that money to a data partner, you're helping to kind of split that out. So you're getting A, better information and B, helping other people to kind of um, build more data that isn't Google essentially. So definitely important things to think about as, as we go forward. Yeah, and as an advertiser, it's a little, it's a frustrating, I think as a consumer as well. So I'm looking at it from kind of both sides, but one of the things that is unfortunate with the fact of sort of the three walled gardens coming up is it really hurts the customer experience from a client perspective on how we can sort of deliver an advertising experience to individuals. I know you've probably seen it. I've seen it at least on, on over the top TV. If I'm watching Hulu, I might get six of the same ads in the row. And so you see that frequency where you're getting the same ad and it's really not great. And you're just rolling your eyes there as a consumer watching this. And the problem is, is from an advertising perspective, you might like deliver some of these experiences, but it's really hard for you to get the levers to control how you're actually sending your message out to individuals where before it was a little bit easier. So especially when you're trying to kind of tell a story, you see brands like, I think alcohol brands do this pretty well, where 
where you you sort of get a piece here, you get a piece there, get a piece there, and you kind of see this holistic, beautiful campaign come together. It's really tough to do that nowadays because you can't really have that specific message hit somebody over here and then follow up with them there and follow up with them there across different uh, channels. And so it kind of hurts both from a consumer standpoint and a brand standpoint, because you can't tell those awesome stories. And from a consumer standpoint, then you get stuck getting the same ad over and over again. Um, and that's something that's neither good for you know the client or the consumer. So I'm hoping that we do get a little more control over how those work. I'm a little skeptical just based on the way that we're seeing the, the tech companies sort of again, wall up and, and not want to share that information or allow for you to understand um, how somebody's engaging with each of these different companies. But uh, it's, it is something that unfortunately we do see that trend going that way. And I would love to see a, a way to sort of solve that in the near future. Is there ever, and I'm sure these are conversations that probably come up from time to time, but is there ever skepticism about maybe the, some of the data that you are seeing or are getting from from those various players, given how, you know, they're so large that they're, they're to some degree, they could probably say whatever they want to. And uh, we, as the users are just going to, you know, take it at face value or most would probably take it at face value. Is there ever like concern about that side of it? I would say, you know, from my perspective, not a ton. A lot of times, like I said, we do use the third party verification. Um, there's things that are happening on that side, but I think more than that, we, we just wouldn't see that performance coming out of these campaigns that we are seeing if we were targeting the totally wrong people. I mean, obviously there's going to be things like you mentioned with that, you know, the lawnmower example, for instance, where people are, the timing's just off and we're not hitting them at the right time. But there was a point that you were interested in the lawnmower. And so you still belong in that audience from that perspective. Um, but I think, you know, we sort of as advertisers have no choice but to trust that data. But I think our, our performance would be indicative that, that we were doing something totally wrong if that were the case. But like I said, you know, having multiple varieties of those data partners on a campaign for a client, we don't ever just buy one audience segment for something. We're buying multiples. We're running them against each other. We're looking to see which are performing, which are not. And so because of that real-time optimization situation, there'd sort of be that immediate feedback loop tell us, no, you're totally wrong here. <laughs> We've got the wrong people. And I agree hundred percent with what Mallory said. I, I actually feel that the data is, is pretty sound from what I've seen when we're trying to target people. So uh, my last question for you guys, uh, what do you see changing in the landscape, at least in the next say five to six years, um, whether that be in terms of experience or whether that be in terms of who the big players are or what the big players are doing, what's the biggest shift that's probably going to be coming in the next few? Dave, I'll let you go first. So it's it's actually a good question because there's been sort of, you know, this whole discussion in, in I think the advertising world of the cookie apocalypse is coming where basically third party cookies are, are no longer going to be a thing. Um, it's really interesting. I think there's a lot of point of views on that and nobody really knows what the future holds for that, but what it's going to force us to do, it's going to, it's going to force advertisers to collect a lot more data internally and leverage that versus sort of reaching out to these players and sort of using their data. I think we still have Google, Facebook, and Amazon, and I think they're going to be protected 
uh, over that just based on how big they are and the way that they're set up. But it is going to, I think, hurt a lot of people in the way that they're actually going after that. The worst case scenario would be that we can no longer target people and we would have to kind of go back to contextual targeting like the magazines that we talked about in the past. So we would look at specific themes on articles you're reading and then we would make sure we're buying ad space on there. I don't think it's going to get to that point. The pendulum is definitely swinging more towards the consumer where privacy is more and more important. We're continuing to see uh, regulations come out about that. You've seen Facebook in the past year, they've done a lot with housing and making sure that you can't actually um, target people based on income or ages. And so we, we continue to see those sorts of limitations uh, and we'll, we'll continue to see those, I expect, as we move forward. But I think the pendulum will kind of swing back in the other way where it is going to allow for advertisers to have a little more uh, understanding on how people are interacting between some of these platforms. And I think that's really the perfect spot because it gives the consumer privacy, but allows for us to tell a better story and then not annoy people with the same ad over and over again. Yeah, I have, I have share your thoughts completely, Dave, on this. I think there's also the whole other end of the spectrum here, sometimes, especially with the cookie apocalypse. Um, you know, I have my own theories on that, which are really sort of just that Google's doing that as a way to appear to be giving you more privacy as a consumer, but in reality, they're doing it to strengthen the monopoly that they have on the data of consumers. If they don't collect the data or they don't allow others to have access to that data, then they become the singular truth of that data. Um, but again, they can only really control that from their own perspective. But um, it's going to be an interesting time to see that because I also think as those things are happening, consumers are getting smarter about how digital advertising works. And so that's going to eventually cause, um, you know, some regulation to come into this market, which I really think is probably pretty strongly needed from the perspective of those those doling out that advertising information, right? Um, obviously we're very pro advertising. There's definitely benefits. I also strongly believe that people should understand how this works. If you are going to a website and you're getting content for free or you're using a social media tool for free, you need to understand as a consumer that you are giving something up to get that in return. There's always a quid pro quo, nothing in life is free. Your advertising, your data becomes what is given up in that scenario. So I, I think that as consumers continue to understand that better, they're going to start to demand that regulation come into this market a little bit and we start to see um, the big three kind of lose some of that strength that they have in, in that power that's happening right now. Um, but I don't know that it's necessarily going to come on their own. It's going to come from getting smarter about how this works. And uh, you both name dropped it. So I have to ask for a little, a little bit of an explanation. Uh, cookie apocalypse to the casual, casual. And that sounds really dramatic. It sounds like <laughs> it might be painful. I don't know what it is or isn't, but uh, can we get a technical definition of what that would look like or what that is? Yeah. So in general terms, I would just say basically there is a, kind of coming of age right now where the um, specifically Google uh, is moving away from cookies and collecting cookie data essentially and it's become a public knowledge sort of informational you know outlet that we are not going to be collecting information on, based on cookies anymore 
um, that that data is going to become unavailable to advertisers and the platforms and going forward, it will be no more. But there's been very limited information about it from even an advertiser standpoint. There's no date involved in terms of, you know, when do these cookies go away? There's no information about what other data will continue to be available, how that's going to look as we go forward. Um, it's an attempt to make privacy more important and more emphasized by Google, essentially. Yeah. And when we're talking about cookies, we're not talking about chocolate chip. We're talking about uh, they're basically scripts. It's what what we what uh, advertisers use to better understand how who people are, uh, track them across sites and then just, again, really collect that information. So it's really it's really tough to understand how that's going to affect things. Again, Google Chrome is the browser. So as Mallory had said, they're still collecting all that information but they make it a lot harder for other players who are trying to put the cookies out there. Um, though they lose that, that way to collect the information. So it really makes it harder for a lot of these other uh, smaller, I'd say companies wh who are out there trying to, again, uh, build their databases for targeting. All right, Mallory, Dave, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for taking it and talking with us today. Thank yeah, you. thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. The Debrief Podcast is a production of FingerLakes1.com Digital Media. It's hosted daily by members of the FL1 News team and was created by Josh Durso and Gabriel Petrazio. If you enjoy the program, here's what you can do to support us. Visit patreon.com slash FL1 and become a monthly subscriber. Those dollars go directly to ensuring programs like this can continue well into the future. Subscribe and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave us a review. Those help us find new listeners and continue growing our audience. If you want to check out past episodes or listen to any episode on demand we're everywhere you listen to podcasts we're even on spotify so listen and follow us there to get the latest episodes as they're uploaded we also host a weekly live streamed edition of the show you can check that out on the fingerlakes1.com youtube channel for the entire fingerlakes1.com team thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time